0: Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond Harris. Today I'll be answering questions from people dealing with unwanted crochet gifts, wedding dilemmas, and parents who think they're potential school shooters. Today's episode is really special because here to help me out is former Prudy Danny Lavery. He's a co-founder of The Toast and the author of texts from Jane Eyre, The Mary Sprinter, and Something That May Shock and Discredit You. His new book, Dear Prudence, Liberating Lessons from Slate.com's Beloved Advice column just dropped this week. In it, he recounts his time as Prudy. So after a short break, we'll discuss Danny's new book, learn about his time as Prudy, and of course, dive into your questions with two Prudys at your disposal. Stay tuned. The best way to learn a language? Immersion living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babel. I love how easy it is to use. And as a person who can be really self-conscious about making mistakes, I love that I don't have to actually talk to a real human while I'm still working on my vocabulary and my accent. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-based language-driven learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and rooted in real-life situations. They're delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com prudy. Get fifty five percent off at babbel.com slash prudy. Spelled B A B B E L dot com slash prudy. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Danny Lavery. Hey Danny.
1: Hey, Janae, I'm so pleased to be here.
0: I'm so pleased to have you here. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And I'm so excited to talk a little bit about your book before we get into the letters. Um, First question I want to ask, out of all the millions of letters you answered, and I know there are so many, like, I don't even remember most letters the next week, someone will bring it up to me and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I know I wrote something to that, but I don't even recall it. So how did you go back and choose which ones to include in the book?
1: Similarly to you, I think I often have decent recall if someone gives me a keyword or uh, mentions the time of year that I answered it. But often it will just say, oh, that sounds like an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what I did was I went back through the archives and I would search for certain keywords myself to jog my own memory. So, you know, sometimes I would just go back and read through several months at a time looking and then other times I would feel this is going to take me a very long time. So I would just search for things like uh mother-in-law or boss or breakup or armchair diagnosis. And then I, knew I was <laughs> in for a really good time. So it was a lot of keyword searching. Um, but some of it was what felt the most memorable, uh, what felt the most illustrative, sometimes just what felt like it fit a certain theme once I developed different themes for the chapters. Mm-hmm. But also, some of it was just the luck of the draw. I'm sure I forgot some really great ones. And that's just a shame.
0: Are there any topics that you just skipped over because you just never wanted to deal with them again? I,
1: I think there were a handful. Um, you know, Certainly, I wanted to not do too many of the sort of classic my boyfriend or my girlfriend treats me really, really badly, but I'd really like not to break up with them. What do you do? Just because not that that's not an interesting uh, problem that can involve lots of different dynamics. It's just that you get so many of those that if you're not careful, you could do the whole book. That's just, we should break up, but I don't want to. And that would make for fairly repetitive reading. So that was something that I did try to shy away from, as well as a handful that felt like Maybe some of them that were like too controversial and I thought, oh, this is not worth bringing back up. I don't. Mm. There's some things I'm willing to get yelled at about and some things that I don't want to get yelled at about. And so also taking that into account.
0: Okay. Well, that makes me want to ask, um, is there anything you are willing to bring up that people got really mad at you about?
1: One thing that I was a little bit surprised about was I, I think fairly early on in my tenure, I said something along the lines of, it's always fine not to go to a wedding that you don't want to go to. And it's also totally fine to go to a wedding and not bring a gift. Mm. And I still really stand by that because like not everybody can afford both to go to somebody's wedding and to buy a gift. And I just felt like it's totally fine. You you never have to get one. Um, and I still... I still feel pretty good about that. But I I think that was slightly outside of the realm of the norm. So Mm -hmm. I am willing to at least say most people might not agree with me and you might have to run the risk of some of your cousins thinking you're a little bit gauche.
0: At the same time, some people just don't bring a gift. It's totally a normal thing. You're just not supposed to talk about it, I guess. It's, It's a
1: gift. Like either it's mandatory or it's a gift. Can't be both. Oh,
0: that's a really good point. That's a good way of looking at it.
1: Yeah. Again, it's like certainly it's nice to get a gift if you can afford it, but like if you're broke and a lot of your older relatives are getting married and you want to go, but you can't keep buying, you know, dinner plates, just go and don't buy them dinner plates
0: and bring a nice card. Yeah. You said in an interview with Slate that the Dear Prudence book has some updated and revised answers alongside the original columns. Do you remember one of those that where you've kind of changed your mind or like your thinking has evolved?
1: I do, although this one didn't actually end up making it into the book. But there was one letter I got, I think around in the middle of my tenure, where uh, somebody was writing in, trying to figure out how to have or whether or not they should be frustrated with a friend of theirs who had visited them at home, and a chair had broke. <laughs> and at the time, my answer had just been kind of straightforward. You know, who knows if the chair was close to breaking or not. But like, my general thought is, if you break something, you should at least, you know, make a gesture towards helping to pay for it or, or apologize. And I just heard from a lot of people kind of talking about how uh, a lot of people's home furniture doesn't take into account the fact that Lots of people don't uh, – like, it, it just splits if you go a little bit over a weight limit. Mm-hmm. You know, that can be really painful and embarrassing. And that was just really useful context. And I don't think that I had written the letter being like, yes, you should chew out your friend and he's a thoughtless jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just helpful because I had just thought, like, well, he shouldn't feel any way about it. He should just apologize and offer to pay for half. Um, and then I think I was able to just sort of update the letter of I can actually understand uh, why he feels – kind of lousy about that. And if he goes to a lot of places where there are no chairs prepared to like support him, why he wouldn't necessarily be like, wow, I'm really sorry. So much as like the world doesn't want me to go places and sit down and that's rough. So I I think that was one that was just really useful where I heard from a lot of different people and felt like useful context changed the way that I would have approached uh, the question. Um, But again, that didn't even make it into the book. So (laughs) I'm sorry that that's the only one I could remember, but it is. But
0: it made it here Mm -hmm. and it's a good point. Yeah. So I've told you before that I remember becoming a really big fan of yours as Prudy in an era when sort of, I feel like the thing to say, like in journalism and the popular point of view was, oh, you can't get mad at people for being racist because it's their politics and we all have different politics. And the important thing is that we have conversations and, you know, you're not a bad person if you think differently about these issues. And, you know, race may just be one of these. So if your aunt and uncle are like huge racists who hate black people and hate immigrants, well, that's their politics. And the important thing is to to have a chit chat about it. And you were just like, no, if you don't like them being racist, you don't have to be around them and you can cut them off. I feel like you have a very clear idea of what you think is right and wrong. And I feel the same way. Like, I rarely don't know what I think about a situation. And I just wonder, how do you think you became a person who had such a clear idea about, like, how you would want to live and how other people should be treated?
1: I, I appreciate that question. I feel so seen by you mm-hmm. in this moment. <laughs> Uh, And and I agree. I think usually people who are interested in becoming advice columnists, um, at the very least, are are, uh, not afraid to share an opinion when called upon. Um, Some of it feels totally uh, like it just appeared out of nowhere. Like there were times as a you know, a kid or a very young person that I would feel very confident about something and feel like, no, I know what this is rooted in or what principle this comes from. And this is meaningful clarity and, and like uh, willingness to stand in the truth. And other times that just felt like, wow, I really think I'm right. I don't, I don't know that I have a good reason and I might not be. And I might in fact get like pushback from a friend who says you're actually just being a jerk, but I sure feel confident right now. Mm-hmm. So I think it it both served me well in some ways and also led to, you know, lots of eighth grade, you know, call ins of just like, Danny. <laughs> You were too much at church camp last summer. You (laughs) wanted to dictate what we did, and it wasn't okay. And, you know, it was just a quality uh, of mine. It wasn't all the time. It wasn't constant. But I definitely liked making my opinion known. (laughs) And sometimes that worked well, and sometimes it
0: didn't. Well, we're about to make use of that now. And after the break, we are going to dive into some questions. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash prudyplus. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest Danny, former Prudy, to answer your letters. Okay, here's our first question. It's titled "No More Crochet."."
4: My sister loves to crochet. The only problem is is that she likes to give her work on every occasion. Keep in mind, they aren't tailored to the receiver's style. They're just things that she was going to make anyway. I tried to be polite about it at first, but I just had my first child. I'm already overwhelmed by all of the baby items I have, and the thought of more garbage entering my house makes me nauseous, especially since the garbage that my sister makes will just turn into microplastics. We recently had a huge argument over this. When I asked her to stop giving me her, quote, art, I got a lecture about all of the labor that goes into her presence. I know my sister is being ridiculous, but I don't want this to become a permanent wedge between us. How do I smooth this over without accepting more crochet items?
0: So reading this, I realized I didn't know the difference between crochet and needlepoint. So I was just thinking, you know, just stuff it in a drawer. But when I Googled crochet, I realized crochet items are not flat. They can be like stuffed animals. Oh. They have a lot of volume to them. Okay. So they could actually take up a lot of room in your home. I think what's interesting about this letter is that typically the questions we get about gifting center on the idea of not wanting to hurt the gift giver's feelings and to kind of avoid awkwardness. But here they've already had a screaming fight over it. Like, what else is there to lose? Do you think it's just okay to say, like, no, like, remember that argument we had where you said I was ridiculous and I yelled at you? Um, No, still. I still feel that way. No more crochet, you know, elephant stuffed animals. Yeah,
1: this one, you know, I feel like the letter writer has lots of options available to them. Like, it would be totally understandable if their goal was just, I want to smooth things over and not fight again, Mm -hmm. which would be take the gifts and throw them out or you know, take the gifts and donate them. That would be fine. I wouldn't be worried like, oh, no, letter writer, like you're inevitably setting yourself up for another huge fight down the road or like you're, you're being too conflict avoidant. I think this is absolutely a situation where just trying to keep the peace would be fine. But also just as you say, it would be totally fine just if she does it again to say, you'll remember the big fight we had about this. We're not accepting any gifts for the baby. We have too much stuff. So mm-hmm. as you know, we'll be getting rid of this. I hope you don't spend more time making us future gifts because the same thing will happen, but obviously I can't tell you what to do. Again, she probably won't like that, but you don't then have to get into a fight. If she's like, I wanna argue about this again, you can say, I'm really tired of arguing about this with you. So can we just skip it? You know, I I know it takes a long time to crochet stuff. I I hope you have a good time crocheting stuff you want.
0: You know, it's funny. I think my responses to questions like this kind of differ depending on what type of mood I'm in and i'm pretty sure when i was writing my notes on this question i was in a little bit of a warmer fuzzier mood because i have the <laughs> i have the note one day the, <laughs> one day this person will be dead like i was really <laughs> thinking like
1: come on wait which one the sister or the letter writer
0: the sister yeah okay. like it's your sister you love her like she just wants to crochet i think part of my mind said just can you just take the stuff like do you have a drawer that you can put it in? Is it that big a deal? But I understand what it feels like to just not want any more clutter. And this person is allowed to like have the boundary they want to have. So kind of a middle ground I came up with besides, I told you, keep that stuff out of my house. And oh my God, one day you're going to be dead. And I don't want to feel bad about this. Let me, you know, put it in a drawer. Is maybe you could agree that, you know, you're going to take the gifts, display them for a very short time, And then donate them. So it turns out people who love to crochet just like love to do it and just want to get rid of the stuff all the time. And there are tons of outlets to donate handmade crochet items. Um, Letter writer, please Google 21 places to donate handmade crochet items to charity and where to donate crochet items near me 2023. So I think a compromise here could be to say, I know you love what you do. I love having an uncluttered space. What I'm going to do is keep the stuff for a limited period of time and then donate it to, like, these children in the hospital or soldiers or homeless people, depending on what it is. Um, And it's going to find a good home, just not mine.
1: I love, by the way, that you included Google search terms that take into account the fact that Google is no longer any good. (laughs) you were like here are specific numbers and years to try to weed out some of the like SEO farms that have <laughs> right. proliferated
0: That'll get you to where you need to go
1: Well, all that sounds really useful, and I I think there's something in that too, right? Because it's easy as an advice columnist to go quickly to, you know, have the conversation, set the boundary, lay down the law. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also, I I love that you have a note that's like, now remember, everyone involved in this conflict will be dead someday. Um, (laughs) Because there's also room here for, like, these are two real sisters who presumably love each other and are normally close. And, you know, one of them at least is going through a big life change, having a baby, uh, a first baby. And so wondering, like... Is your sister, I don't know, is she like, did she lose her job lately? Like, is she going through something in her own life where she's been crocheting more than usual because she has more time and anxiety on her hands than usual? Or um, does she not really know how to engage with you now that the kid is here? So Mm. I'm wondering, too, especially with that line about I'm doing hours of labor on this, you know. You could maybe potentially ask her, like, hey, I don't want to argue right now about the number of crocheted gifts you want to give me, but I'm just curious, like, are there other ways that you want to try to spend time with me and the baby that we haven't really discussed Mm -hmm. or... Maybe even just saying like, what if we had like a number, like two items a year? Like, do you think that we could find a compromise, even if two is not the number you want? Can we talk back and forth about something that works for the both of us that might potentially enable you both to kind of back down from your initial like, this is a sign of my love for you versus this is destroying the ocean with microplastics? (laughs) Because those are both two big, extreme positions. And it might be nice to like come down to a more human level.
0: Right. It definitely made me wonder what else is going on in the sister's relationship That is making this feel so intense on both sides. I mean, it's worth noting the spirit of gift giving has been lost. Oh, yeah. When you're yelling at someone about your labor regarding items that they've said they don't want. Like, we're not in a gifting space right now. This is like, like this is standing in. Right. (laughs) This is standing in for something else. And of course, we never have the full story, but it definitely feels like there's some more to dig into in like the relationship between the two of them and especially what the sister may be going through, like you said. Yeah. Well, Letter Writer, um, good luck with the baby. Good luck with keeping your home a space that you feel comfortable being in. Um, Yes, your sister will be dead one day, but that doesn't mean you need to accept everything. I I think there's some room here to work a little bit on the relationship and um, do a little bit of compromising. Hope that helps.
1: Sisters die, but microplastics are forever.
0: (laughs) This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned.
1: Adultish is back. And this season, we're talking about standing up and learning how to take a stand for issues on the minds of young people, like... Book bans. The
3: book banning side, they have an incredibly well-oiled machine. Filling in food deserts.
0: We have three community colleges where we either provide food boxes or an actual operating farmer's market.
1: And what's affecting young people's mental and emotional health.
4: Pressures of school, friendships from romantic relationships, pressures from family.
1: New episodes of Adultish from YR Media drop every Thursday, so subscribe wherever you're
3: listening now.
0: You're listening to the Dear Prudence Show. I'm here with my guest, Danny, former Prudy. Ready for another question? Definitely. It is titled "Can't Get No Protection."
5: I'm a young transgender woman, she/her, living with my family in a rather conservative city for a blue state. Think vicious school board battles, militias, popular bigoted churches, extremist rallies, etc. After being emotionally abused and sexually harassed by a well-armed former coworker, and experiencing some thinly veiled threats afterwards, including one from a former boss and another from local law enforcement, I don't feel super safe where I currently live, especially given how a lot of people in the community are rallying against trans people right now. That being said, I've decided to find some ways to protect myself in case I end up in a situation where I know there's a direct imminent threat on my life. There's a shooting range in the next town over where I've started taking some cheap defensive shooting classes, but I've run into a snag. My dad won't allow me to purchase or keep any firearms or weapons in my house, to the point where he is willing to kick me out to enforce this. The cost of living is high in my area, and I'm currently putting myself through college using scholarships and working as a certified nursing assistant, so I'm stuck. To make matters so much worse, when I asked my dad why this was forbidden, he said it was because he thought I would end up being a school shooter. I was never a violent kid at any point in my life, nor have I ever been diagnosed with any kind of serious mental illness. I kept to myself a lot as a kid due to my gender dysphoria, and I loved video games, including some with guns, but apparently he has always thought I've been capable of mass murder. Needless to say, I am horrified by this accusation, and this whole ordeal has sent me into a spiral. How am I going to protect myself if one of these people decides to go after me? And how in the world do I handle the fact that my dad, someone I love and trust, Thinks I am capable of murdering children.
1: Hey everyone, this is Danny. Before we get into our response, I want to mention that we recorded this conversation before the Nashville School shooting, which is why you won't hear us bring it up in our conversation. Our advice remains the same, but we know that the letter writer situation has likely become even more difficult.
0: It feels like the letter writer is dealing with so much that they should not have to. So many real physical threats and more than that, like serious emotional threats. And it seems to me like the desire for a gun is standing in for a desire to just get like protection from all of these things that have been going on for so long. Um, The only small thing I agree with the dad with is that I, I don't know that bringing a gun into the house is a solution. I think there needs to be a host of other solutions. I want to talk about moving out. I want to talk about self-defense. I want to talk about therapy. I would like the letter writer to maybe start to think about things other than a firearm that could improve the situation. And there are many.
3: Yeah,
1: I, I think I'm really on the same page as you there, at least in terms of the having a gun. I can understand that different people have different ideas about this. But one of the things that kind of came to my mind was Are you in a state that has like a castle doctrine law or duty to retreat law? Like, are you in a state where if you were threatened and you used a firearm to defend yourself, you might still get prosecuted for assault Mm because there are states where that could be the case. Do you feel confident that you would always have that gun with you, that you would be able to afford, you know, a permit to carry if that's needed in your state, if you would be able to familiarize yourself with all the places where you can and can't take it with you? And do you feel like I would always have it with me ready to go, but also Mm -hmm. have it like safely enough stored that it's not about to like just go off in your coat pocket? Mm -hmm. Like the number of things that have to be perfectly lined up for you to be able to like assess a threat, get your gun, use your gun safely, decide whether or not you're going to try to like disable or kill someone who's trying to hurt you. It's just like so many things can go wrong. And for it to, like, quote-unquote work, a million things have to go right. I think there's a reason the news isn't filled with Mm -hmm. and another person successfully, like, (laughs) defended themselves with a firearm against uh, some person today. Like, it's a fantasy, Mm -hmm. and I get it, but, you know— at least in terms of the relationship with your dad, a gun certainly wouldn't have helped. Um, I I don't know if it would have helped to have shot your coworker. I I mean, again, that's the other thing is just like, would it have helped to have shot somebody that day?
0: Yeah. um, It's not going to be like it is at the shooting range where you kind of like get all your supplies on and get set up and take aim and then, you know, maybe hit your target or maybe don't. And then you get another chance. And um, like Danny said, then there's, all the legal issues, um, it's just hard for new to imagine a scenario where someone threatens you and this gun helps you and you end up not going to jail. It's <laughs> in some way or another. And and
1: again, none of that's to say you're not in real danger. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand where this desire comes from. I just mean, again, like the one other thing that we know pretty conclusively is that getting a handgun increases the chances that you will use it to commit suicide pretty significantly. Mm. I wouldn't want that for this letter writer who is especially she's in like a pretty difficult situation already. And so anything that would increase the likelihood of self-harm with a firearm, I would say don't do. So... As you were saying, look for other ways that we can address her genuine, genuine lack of safety and protection in so many different areas of her life, which sounds debilitating, serious, and frightening.
0: I'm always so challenged by letters where I just want to say, figure out a way to move out. Because I live in the world, and I know that it's not possible for everyone to just like find an affordable place to live. But I wonder if there's any way to think creatively about moving in with roommates, or is there a scholarship that could cover housing on campus. Again, I really don't wanna suggest anything unrealistic, but I wonder if the letter writer could take a little bit of a step back and just not assume that they're stuck in this home with this dad and this toxic environment um, forever. Right.
1: And I agree, you know, if you've already had this conversation with your dad on more than one occasion, and he's made it clear that he would kick you out, and you right now don't have any backup places to stay, I would say I would not encourage you to do anything that could endanger your current living situation. Um, And again, I doubt that you would be able to perfectly hide a firearm from him. I just don't think that's a practical outcome. So I would suggest not that you can't continue going to the range, like if it helps you feel more competent, and if someday when you're in a different situation, you decide that you would like to own a gun, I certainly can't stop you. Again, if these classes are helpful to you, do it. But Don't buy one because you don't have a safe, reliable place that you can store. it, And that, I think, would be part of responsible gun ownership is if you said, I want to be a responsible gun owner, but I'm going to have to hide it. And if anyone finds out that I've got it, I won't have a place to live. That's not responsible.
0: To be clear, I want her to move out because I want her to get away from her father, who clearly sees her as a person who has something wrong with her. Um, I know that's not the kind of space you want to live in every day. The father obviously does not have any empathy for her experience. And there've been some really difficult experiences in this home. And I would just, I would love for her to be able to find some way or another to live under a different roof, not to have a gun, but just to get out from under um, being judged and mistreated in this way.
1: Yeah, And even if it's not something that's going to be possible in the next three months or six months um, just being able to come up with a plan whereby you think a year from now I could be living somewhere else or 18 months from now I could be living somewhere else will go a long way towards um, just making the next phase of your life survivable and I think to that end too if there's any resources at your school in terms of student housing or subsidized student housing off campus or any resources that they can offer you in terms of looking for a place to live that's uh, within your price range I would encourage you to do that. So again, if there's any kind of housing authority on campus, definitely talk to them. Uh, and even if they can't help you find something in the next couple of months to just be on a list or let them know that you are looking for resources to check campus to see if anyone else has posted for, you know, last minute roommates or sublets, anything would probably be preferable to where you're living right now, with within some reason, obviously, any little steps you can take towards getting out of first your father's house, and maybe eventually this particular town um, is going to be good in the long run.
0: One thing I love about the fact that this letter writer is in school is that that means almost certainly there's mental health resources available. So, you know, we always want people to get support in therapy when they're in difficult situations. And it's so tough because practically, just like moving out, again, I know it's not always easy to just go to therapy. When you're a student, typically you can get it for free. So I would say, like, you're dealing with a lot. You've been dealing with a lot for a long time. You may be stuck in this home that's not the healthiest place for you for a while. At the very least, on a practical level, go to your school's, like, mental health resources and just get someone to talk to just to help bridge this difficult period in your life. On another practical note, instead of a firearm, let's look into, like, some kind of other self-defense classes or something else to make you feel more empowered um, and less afraid just when you're out and about. And that could also include stuff to protect yourself digitally, like anti-doxing. Just try to piece everything together to make yourself feel safer to get through this period.
1: I just also want to say I feel kind of bad, too, because I just initially talked so much about the gun stuff that I just also want to say, like, that sounds horrifying and terrible Mm -hmm. um, being sexually harassed by a a co-worker you knew to be armed, as well as a former boss, as well as the cops. And I think one of the things that just really gets me about this letter is that one of the things she's experiencing is that really unique and awful scapegoating that often happens to trans women, whereby she's experienced like repeated, pretty violent or like heavily threatening uh, implications of violence, sexual harassment from multiple people. And then she also hears from her father, I believe that you are uniquely dangerous and Mm -hmm. capable of violence against children. So like, you're already getting harassed, you're already getting threatened. And then on top of that, you're also hearing you're the threat. Um, And again, that is just really deeply wrong. And I'm so sorry that that's happening to you. And I cannot imagine how devastating that must feel, especially in your own home. As I'm sure you know, letter writer, one of the things that was so cruel about what your father said to you was like, either he just said that flippantly to hurt you, which is awful. Or at some point in your childhood, he genuinely thought my child might be a potential school shooter. And his reaction to that was just to not say anything and not do anything. Like if he really believed that and he didn't try to get you help, if he didn't try to take you to therapy, if he didn't try to like help you deal with your emotions differently, that that to me is just so um, neglectful and awful. Like if I had a child and I had reason to worry about their relationship to anger and violence, I would hopefully try to help. So again, I, I don't believe for a moment that anything that you've described about your situation or your childhood means that your father had good reason to think that you would be a potentially school shooter. It's just that that's really painful on a number of fronts. And um, I'm really, really sorry that he said that to you. I can imagine that's probably going to affect your relationship for the rest of your life. And you didn't deserve that. And I'm really, really sorry.
0: You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show, and when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. This is Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Danny, former Prudy. Okay, this will be the last question. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. It's titled, Mother of the Bride, Daughter of the Grandpa.
2: My daughter is getting married in two months, and I have a lot of things that I need to do during the wedding, such as bringing food, decorating, and staying in a town an hour's drive away for two nights. My dilemma is that my elderly dad now lives with me and my husband. I don't want him to go to the wedding for numerous reasons, most of which are that I cannot take care of him and be the mother of the bride at the same time. These are the reasons. He cannot hear well at all but is too stubborn to get hearing aids and really frankly and has said in subtle terms that he doesn't really care what other people have to say. He's on oxygen 24/7 and that would require us to transport a lot of small tanks, his wall unit, etc. He has difficulty walking, diabetes, etc. and just doesn't enjoy going to long gatherings. I want my dad to stay home and then we can go out to celebrate the new couple at a short dinner later on, etc. We will make sure that he is cared for and have several people come in to check on him, bring him food, etc. He cannot hear the wedding. It is going to be outside where he is not comfortable and he doesn't really like people anyway, to be honest. There is really no reason that he should attend except that he is my daughter's only living grandfather. Since he knows about the wedding, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I really wish that I wouldn't have told him about it and just made other arrangements for him. Please help as to anything I can say to maybe help him understand that he really doesn't want to go. Am I being selfish? I really know my dad though, and I don't think he would enjoy himself one bit. Thank you for your advice.
0: So there's obviously a really practical side to this, which is just, Dad, it won't work. We can't bring the oxygen tanks. I won't be there to drag the oxygen tanks. We'll do a later celebration. But I don't know. I just have to share like what I've brought to this question emotionally, Mm -hmm. which... Is that it? Just something just does not sit right with me about excluding an old person from a wedding. Don't you kind of think that the traditions around birth, birthdays, graduations, weddings, funerals are really sort of make up the a lot of the meat of like what's special about life and the moments that we remember? I'm starting to sound like a Hallmark card, but I guess what I'm trying to say is like. A granddaughter's wedding is something you stay alive for. A picture of you with your grandfather at your wedding or your father at your wedding is, you know, what you pull up when that person dies. Like, these are kind of the moments we're here for on Earth. And it seems to me that maybe it would be worth a little bit of a hassle. Um, What are your thoughts, Danny?
1: I I think I really shared your reaction. It felt very clear to me that the letter writer feels overwhelmed and exhausted by the care that she is providing for her father on a regular basis, which I I absolutely have sympathy for. But what I would urge her not to do and to guard against is the way that bleeds into, rather than considering other options for getting help from other people who will be at the wedding or asking for help looking after him, you know, that line, what can I say to him to help him understand that he doesn't really want to (laughs) go? That was like... Come on, man. If you really thought he didn't want to go and, and and just totally would rather be at home, you wouldn't have to convince him. You would be able to say, I'm going to give you the gift of saying you don't have to go. Mm-hmm. And then he'd say, great, I didn't want to. But what, what feels actually clear to me is it's more I would have to do a lot of work if I took him with me. Um, and I'm worried that he would be grumpy. Mm-hmm. And, Again, that's really understandable. But I think the solution there is, I don't know if you have a partner, um, but this is going to be a wedding with other relatives. Uh, Get in touch with your other relatives and say, I would love to bring dad with me. Um, Here's the stuff that he needs someone on hand to help with, like carrying his oxygen tank, etc., making sure he's comfortable. I'll also have other responsibilities as mother of the bride. Can any of you help me out?
0: Absolutely.
1: How do I convince him he'd rather sit at home? Because again, like letter writer, I think, you know, even though he's going to be kind of grumpy, even though he's probably going to have moments where he can't really hear and is, uh, you know, gruff, he would like to be there. Right. And I think that you should. I think you would feel, frankly, ashamed of yourself afterwards if you didn't bring him and you knew that he wanted to go. And I don't want you to feel that way about your kid's wedding.
0: Yeah, I'm all about um assigning different people tasks at weddings. Surely there's um a 17-year-old cousin who isn't really going to be having fun during the wedding anyway, who can be assigned to um sit by his side for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour and someone else who can do a different block of time and just help with whatever, you know, needs to be carried or someone needs to bring her a glass of water or whatever it may be. And also, I see nothing in the letter that says he's not like mentally or cognitively sound. Mm -hmm. So I do think this could be a conversation just, you know, dad, I want you to know that I'm gonna be really busy at the wedding. Um, I can bring your oxygen tanks. I'm gonna have to have some other people help out with whatever needs may come up throughout the day. And I just wanna like put on the table that it's gonna be hot. People are gonna be talking to you. We're probably gonna stay until the end. Um, and it just might not be a really comfortable day. And I just want you to know that and know what you're in for, um, before we RSVP. And so he can say yes or no. And then if he is grumpy, I mean, he's grumpy. It's not the end of the world, right?
1: Yeah. And I would even, you know, encourage the letter writer to maybe ask her father, you know, how does this sound to you? Rather than like, I bet you're going to be uncomfortable. You Mm. can even ask like, you know does it sound better to you if we go check into the hotel you come for the ceremony stay for a while and then have somebody take you back to the hotel before i go back like would you like for somebody to drive you would you rather say like no this is important to me i want to be there even if i'm uncomfortable and i want you know a couple of cousins on hand to like bring me water and a fan and make sure i'm in the shade and basically you know Make me comfortable. Like, ask him. Because I, I my worry is that the letter writer would frame this in a way that made it really clear the answer she wanted, which would be like, now, Dad, you can come, but it would be a mm-hmm. lot of work. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you'd really <laughs> like it. And I'm making it very clear that it would be an inconvenience for me. Mm-hmm. Now that you have all that information, and, and I'm your caretaker who drives <laughs> you places, and you know what I want, give me, a, give me an honest answer. Like, right. that would be a mistake. So really do ask and listen. And again, if he's like, I'd love to go to the ceremony, I'd love to stick around for half an hour and then yes, absolutely get somebody to drive me back to the hotel and like help me put my feet up, do that. Um, but if he says like, I want to go and I don't want to just be left at home because I have needs, like right. I really encourage you to listen to that because again, I have so much sympathy for I'm looking after my dad 24-7 and it's a lot. But the answer to that needs, I need more help rather than I want him to just mostly sit in the living room like he is himself a piece of furniture because I got to say, you know, someday I'm going to be old. I I hope – Someday I might have a lot of different illnesses. I, again, kind of hope, right? Like it's better mm-hmm. than the alternative. And I don't want people just to treat me as like, now that you have a lot of needs, you're just an inconvenience and I wish you would turn off like a piece of furniture. Again, not that the letter writer is saying that. I just feel like that would be kind of coming through. And so again, mm-hmm. the answer here is get more help, not tell your dad to shut down.
0: Right. And still do the small celebratory dinner afterwards. Um You know, Mm -hmm. in a place where he can actually hear and he can have a conversation with the bride, but do that in addition to not instead of at least um, some kind of appearance on the actual wedding day.
1: Yeah. So again, just a lot of sympathy for He also sounds like he was maybe a pretty curmudgeonly guy before he had health issues. And it can be really challenging to care for someone even who's in, you know, great spirits. And it sometimes just takes a toll, but that doesn't mean it isn't worth doing. Um, And I hope you continue to ask for more help rather than just say, no, 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 I can handle it and then feel angrier and angrier because that would be bad for you both.
0: Absolutely. And this is one day when there's going to be so many able-bodied adults there with nothing else to do. So ask for the help. Um, that is it. Those are all the questions we have for this week. As always, I really do hope we've been helpful. Thank you so much, Danny, for being here. This was, I mean, I knew it was going to be fun, but it's just so good to talk to you. And also... Thank you for leaving the job. I've really been enjoying it.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for enjoying it. I I was just so thrilled to see you get it. And it's been such a joy to get to enjoy the Dear Prudence column as a reader once again. And I'm so stoked about the show. So thank you for being fantastic and for having me on the show. And hopefully everyone listening feels like they can either ignore all their relatives forever or cultivate patience and a servant's heart.
0: Go get your copy of Danny's new book, Dear Prudence Liberating Lessons from Slate.com's Beloved Advice Column. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash Prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P R U D I E. The Dear Prudence Column publishes every Thursday, and you can join us for the Dear Prudy live chat on Mondays at noon Eastern.
1: If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we're looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their question for the show. You can stay anonymous.
0: Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.